0: What would you pay for right now? And that's the quickest way to identify something that you desperately need a solution to, a need that you probably have, and you have it, chances are other people have as well.
1: I'm Jim Huffman, and this is If I Was Starting Today, a collection of conversations about half-baked startup ideas, growth tactics, and stories from founders, including my own journey as a business owner. All of the content is centered around one question, what would you do if you were starting today? All right, Jonathan, we are back with a another episode where we do a segment called Iconic Reads, where we take the best, not books because that would take way too much time, but the best blog posts that we've read and we dissect them and break them down so people don't have to read them. We're essentially cliff notes or spark notes for the internet. But how do you feeling, man? Are you excited about this one?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad to cover Paul Graham, one of my favorite thinkers in the whole startup space. So absolutely looking forward to it.
1: Yes. So today we are doing one that was published in November 2012, and it's titled How to Get Startup Ideas. And this blog post for me is is really strong. I read it. I can't remember how long ago it was I read it, but it's cool to read something that is approaching 10 years old and it's still as relevant as ever. And first, it's who is Paul Graham? What is Y Combinator? So Y Combinator is a startup accelerator that started back in 2005 in San Francisco, and it's really the Harvard of Accelerators. I mean, they've invested in Stripe, Airbnb, DoorDash, Coinbase, Instacart, Twitch, Reddit, Dropbox. Their trophy case is quite impressive. And so the guy behind it is Paul Graham, and he has a blog that the formatting definitely has not been updated since 2012, which is why I also like it. But whenever he talks about how to come up with startup ideas, you definitely listen because he has the track record to prove it. But what else did I miss about Y Combinator and, and Paul Graham?
0: Yeah, I think besides that impressive list of companies that have grown out of there, I think what makes Paul Graham more impressive is he's a practitioner. He's also started his own startups in the past. He's gone on to mentor all these companies. so He's seen what works and doesn't from the sidelines. So his insights are extremely precious and valuable. And as you just said, Jim, this blog post has lived for 10 years. Things that tend to last this long in the internet age are definitely worth gold. So... That's another uh, layer of credibility for him.
1: This one's really good. should definitely be framed, laminated, and put on your refrigerator. Let's get into it. So one thing to break it down, we like to talk about the main takeaways. And what's interesting is how he lays this blog post out. And he has different sections. And we'll kind of go through them in order. I'm interested to get your thoughts on the sections that he talks about. So first, he has problems, which you know you get ideas from problems. The second section is this idea of a well where he says a lot of people try and do an idea for everybody, but it doesn't really go deep on the problem. And the best startup ideas are the ones that go deep and big, a deep well. The third is self is a category where he talks about you need to live in the future and think about what will be happening there and what's missing. And that's how the best ideas can arise. The next section is noticing, where you don't need to come up with ideas, but just notice things that could lead to an opportunity to build something. There's a section around competition that I'm excited to hit on that's a little counterintuitive. He has a section around two filters to use for startup ideas. One is the unsexy filter. The other is the slept filter, which he gets into the example of how Stripe exists because of the slept filter. And then the final two are recipes for startup ideas. And then finally, a section around organic ideas. But just seeing how he laid it out was very interesting because some of those sections are obvious, but other ones are very eye-opening and just shows how his mind works. But other than the sections, any thoughts on that or just your main takeaways from this?
0: Yeah, so sticking to the whole sections idea. So I think if you zoom out actually even a bit more, a lot of these sections fit under the whole organic way of coming up with startup ideas. Organic being the key phrase there. But the opposite to that, which actually leaves to maybe towards the end of the blog post, is the whole recipes way of generating. So rules of thumb or heuristics, guidelines for people who need to come up with an idea right away and not follow the organic method. So the whole organic versus almost the, the artificial or like recipe method of coming up with ideas is, I thought, a very interesting contrast and a very interesting way to also organize the, uh, the entire
1: post. Yeah, and you know, that's something that he has to give advice on when people are pivoting their startup idea. They're like, oh, crap, our idea has totally failed. We have six weeks before demo day to create something, cobble something together. So it was funny to see his approach to that.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: All right. So let's get into the best quotes, because I'll be honest, I was going through trying to find the best quotes. And after I did the exercise, I basically copy and pasted the entire blog post. I was like, this will be the longest podcast ever about a blog post that is not that long to read. So I've willed it down. So we can go back and forth. But here's one of my favorites is Paul Graham says, the very best startup ideas tend to have three things in common. There's something the founders themselves want that they themselves can build, and that few others realize are worth doing. Microsoft, Apple, Yahoo, Google, and Facebook all began this way. And that third point that he talks about, where others don't realize they're worth doing, I thought was a really good insight that leads into something we'll talk about, which is living in the future. But what's one of your favorite quotes or thoughts on that one?
0: Yeah, and actually, I think my favorite quote out of the entire blog post, and this was really difficult to narrow down for me, because just like you, I had like, quite a lot to discuss but it's what would you pay for right now i can't imagine something like i an easier way to frame it that clearly shows need this goes this actually is very similar to the idea you just brought up of the whole well where you're creating you're focusing on a very deep and urgent need but maybe to a smaller group of people whereas people automatically think for going after a large audience right off the bat But most often they end up solving problems that are not urgent needs. So again, what would you pay for right now? And that's the quickest way to identify something that you desperately need a solution to, a need that you probably have and you have it. chances are other people have as well. So what would you pay for right now is by far the most, my favorite quote in the entire piece.
1: Hey everyone, Jim here, and I wanna share something really neat with all of you. And yes, that pun was absolutely intended, I'm sorry. If you're like me, you're always on the go from meetings to dinners, and you know how important it is to stay comfortable yet look a little professional. That's where Need comes in, a game-changing brand that's redefining the way you think about shirts. Now, Need specializes in sweat-proof apparel. Yes, you heard that right, sweat-proof. Their shirts are designed with a patented fabric that combats sweat, keeping you dry and confident no matter what the day throws at you. Originally crafted for military use, this technology is now available for everyone. Whether you're locked in a conference room where the AC isn't working, or in an, on a first date at a hibachi grill, or just another busy day where you're just running hot, Neat has your back. Literally, you will never have to worry about back sweat or pit stains showing up on your shirt again. Plus, it's wrinkle-free. So with always looks put together and they fit like a dream. We're talking snug in the right places, like your arms, and they are incredibly soft and comfortable. So stop wearing those old crusty con shirts and try a shirt that is literally military tested and sweat proof. It's become my new work week uniform. I have all four colors. I'm usually wearing the green or black crew neck and I have some of the polos as well. What's more, Neat is offering an exclusive deal for all the listeners here. Head over to NeatApparel.com and use the code PODCAST for a cool 20% off your order. It's not just a shirt, it's your new secret weapon in the battle against sweat. So why wait? Upgrade your wardrobe with Neat and stay dry wherever the day takes you. Again, that's NeatApparel.com, just use the code PODCAST. Okay, now let's get back to the episode. You know, that's a really good exercise for we won't say cheap, but a frugal person like myself looking at my bank statement from the lens of a, just a customer or a consumer, but then also a business owner, because there are certain things when I'm coming through, I'm, I can slash that. But then there's other expenses where you're like, I'm happy to pay for that. And I even pay three, five X more than what they're charging. We have a few partners or vendors that I think are undercharging us where I would pay them more, but I will never have let them know who they are. But that's a really good framework. All right. So the, the next one I had was, it was actually under the category of self. And he says, empirically, the way to have good startup ideas is to become the sort of person who has them. Being at the leading edge of a field doesn't mean you have to be the, the people pushing it forward. You can also be the leading edge of a user. I thought that was really interesting because it's so much pressure, but like, well, let me come up with startup ideas. But he says, you know, if you can just focus on things that are cutting edge, that are innovative, and you start to put yourself in what does a world look like where everyone has a mobile phone? What does a world look like where there's autonomous driving? I thought that was a really helpful framework. And it was a little actionable for me because it tells me, you know, where I should put my time when I'm trying to learn.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with that sentiment. Somewhat similar to that is the idea. This was this felt like a slap in the face when I read this, actually. It says, it doesn't work well simply to try to think of startup ideas. When you do that, you get bad ones that sound dangerously plausible. And I think we're all guilty of this. We're sitting around and brainstorming of some ideas that are just not tethered to reality. And what he's saying is, essentially, instead of thinking of ideas, he's asking us to notice, essentially, needs urgent problems that we have in our immediate environment, either we're feeling it or other people are feeling it, that kind of tethers it to reality. And it goes back to that whole metaphor of the well as well. It's a narrow problem, but it's, I mean, a narrow audience, but a deep problem to those. And if you're aware of that problem, if you're experiencing it in your day to day life, chances are. It's uh, something you could build a company around.
1: Yeah, that's a really good one. Well, what quote do you have? Yeah, I think
0: that's probably the best one. But if I can add one more, this was essentially going to a time machine metaphor where he's saying, if you don't have an idea now, imagine a scenario where you take a time machine 50 years in the future, what is missing, essentially. And this is another thing that he keeps on hitting on, like living in the future, then building what's missing. So I thought that was, I've never seen or heard anyone frame it that way. but you think of many of the things we have now, in the near past, they, they did not seem realistic. But I think uh, having that frame of mind, living on the edge, as you said, is both the user and the person in that space who's most knowledgeable about it, I think is something we could all
1: potentially think about. Yeah, that's a really good one. I'll throw in two more and then I'm going to cheat by having two other ones for our... Final category. This idea of noticing, he says, the verb you want to be using with respect to startup ideas is not think up, but actually notice. At YCB, we call ideas that grow naturally out of founders' own experiences organic startup ideas. The most successful startup ideas almost always begin this way, because he definitely kind of makes fun of people, and we've been guilty of this, where it's like, hey, we're going to have a startup idea brainstorm. We start looking up into the sky, but instead. You need to be looking down and just noticing things. And that's where the ideas come from. And then the final one was this idea with organic, where he talks about looking for waves is essentially a way to simulate the organic method. If you're at the leading edge of some rapidly changing field, you don't have to look for waves. You are the wave. And then it was a nice mic drop with that one. But that was that was a pretty good one.
0: Yeah. Just the one uh, one final one that I want to add to that as well is the idea of working on things that could be dismissed as toys, when something is described as a toy, it means that it's just something that is interesting to you. People just don't see the potential. It addresses the needs and concerns of a small audience. If you think of many of the ideas that have blown up over the past decade in Airbnb, even slightly before that of Facebook, They were just toys to a small group of people who were on the cutting edge, but those were the ideas that blew up and uh, expanded into larger things. They're germs of larger ideas, larger companies.
1: Agreed. All right. What do you agree with after reading this blog post where you just want to jump on the soapbox that he's preaching from? I think working on problems you have.
0: I just think this is the safest and most logical way to go about coming up with startup ideas. And it just makes sure it ensures that the idea actually is tethered to reality, that there's a need for it in the world, Uh, whereas just sitting around and brainstorming ideas out of thin air just because it sounds cool or it's trending in that moment. So that's definitely the one thing I really agree with.
1: Yeah, that one's really strong. It's scratching your own itch. And that way, whenever you're solving a problem for yourself, you can be real honest if it's a nice to have or a must have. One that I really agree with, it's a little counterintuitive, but it's this idea of competition. He essentially says you want to go after a space where there is competition, where there's a lot going on, where it's a crowded market, because it means there's demand. It also means that maybe that none of the existing solutions are enough. And he talks about you need to have some insight or secret that you know about that everyone else is missing. And he talks about how Google had that and how Microsoft had that. But I love the idea because so many times you come up with an idea and then you look like, oh, crap, it already exists. There's five people doing it. And then you got to move on to the next one. And if anything, that's validating that you're all into something.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And somewhat related to that, which I found very interesting is How do you? How can you tell if a company that is serving the needs of a small, small audience actually is a germ of a giant company, or it just will always exist and remain a niche product? And that's something that he just calls out as a caution. He keeps on pointing out that you want to make sure that there's a path out of an idea. So you might start off as Airbnb helping people who are essentially coming for a convention find a place to stay, but eventually you want to be the Essentially, the uh, the platform for all travel and essentially dominate this space. Yeah, I think that was uh, a note of caution to most of the readers that uh, he kind of tossed in there at the, at the
1: end. Yeah. I mean, it's just packed with so much wisdom in it. I had two other ones that I agree with. One was this idea of, I kind of called it a disruption, but he says since startups often garbage collect broken companies and industries, it can be a good trick. To look for those that are dying or deserve to, and try to imagine what kind of company would profit from the demise of these incumbents or these old slow companies. Because you know the classic example is Blockbuster and Netflix, right? If Blockbuster goes down, who's going to take their place? And it's obviously going from offline to online, from streaming to or from VHS to streaming. But it was a, a really good thought looking at what are the industries that are up next to really be flipped on their head and who's going to profit from it.
0: Yeah, that Duffy sounds interesting. I remember uh, kind of thinking about that, but that is uh, quite difficult to execute, even though I agree with it, like trying to predict the future and the next block is uh, definitely a serious challenge. But one thing, another idea that I definitely agree with is trying to find intersection points, like as he calls it, the class of domains, where let's say you are a developer, you also learn about, in his example, genetics, and you'll probably see things that software could solve. So you'll have insights that other people in the field might not have. So that's a unique, you'll probably the best person at that intersection and you'll be able to solve problems and see things that others can't. So that's something I really agreed with and uh, really stood out.
1: Yeah, that was a great call out because he kind of made a reference. A lot of computer scientists or computer science majors just go work on computer science. But if they took that and applied it to other industries that's when something big or special could happen. The last thing that I agreed with, and this is more of a personal thing, I loved how he took a shot at schools and education as being a horrible way to get experience as a founder or to come up with startup ideas. He basically said, you're going to learn just as much about companies and startups as you would learning about sex in a sex class. And I was like, <laughs> oh my gosh, that was gold. Yeah, anytime because as someone that almost spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on an MBA and then didn't, I, I love seeing that decision being validated.
0: Yeah, that was definitely a very good example there. Uh reference to learning about sex in a classroom was quite fun. <laughs> All
1: right, what else? Did we get everything for what we agree with? Yeah, I think we've hit on the most
0: important ones. Yeah, for sure.
1: Okay, so here's the hard one. What did you disagree with this one? I could only come up with one thing and it's kind of half half baked, but what do you have?
0: To be honest, I really suffered on this one.
1: The thing that that he said that I wonder about
0: is this: all seems prescriptions for innovative ideas. So, if you're trying to come up with essentially, if I'm using the Peter Thiel idea of going from zero to one, coming up with an idea from scratch, something that doesn't exist in the marketplace. Whereas, if you're copying something or iterating on something that already exists, I wonder if you have to go through all this pain. Like, why not just take something that you know exists? someone who's already built, maybe built a slightly better version and get away with it. Like why go through this entire mess, this very painful process of coming up with original ideas. So that's one thing that I potentially disagree with. That's the one area that I see that he maybe hasn't covered in depth.
1: That It's almost how big of an idea are you trying to think of? Are you trying to create the next unicorn that's really disruptive? Then you follow this framework. If you're trying to go the bootstraps path, maybe there's a different framework you'd want to use for coming up with ideas. That's a good call out. Yeah. The thing that I disagree with, and this is if I'm going to really subscribe to what actually what you kind of alluded to, Peter Thiel zero to one, because Peter Thiel, PayPal mafia, VC investor, worth billions. I think there might have been a chapter titled this where he basically says competition is for losers and how you want to create a company that has its own monopoly. So that would go against what Paul Graham is saying here, where he talks about, hey, competition is a good thing. But I'll be honest, I, I probably subscribe to what Paul Graham says more than Peter Thiel, but I think both of those are could work out. But that was the only thing that I had, and it was a little bit of a stretch.
0: Yeah, I kind of came up with that idea as well. What I ended up concluding was, Paul uh, Paul Graham was probably saying that don't fear competition. Don't let it essentially close the door on you. That there could be iterations of these things that already exist that could be, as he calls it, beachheads, like things that you can use to start up your own ideas. So yeah, I know finding something that you disagree with is is definitely took a lot of pain and struggle on my end. All
1: right. This whole segment is iconic reads. If you had to distill it down, why is this iconic?
0: So this is written from the perspective, the philosopher wrote an in-depth study on how to come up with ideas, but that philosopher also ran businesses and mentored other companies. This would be that piece. I can't imagine a better article on this. And quite frankly, it's stood the test of time. So that definitely lends credibility to it. But I think if you're looking for different ways of coming up with ideas, this, is, this probably gives you the the guidelines uh, and also warns you what not to do you can easily waste a lot of time thinking of ideas that seem plausible or as he says, dangerously plausible because they seem like they have legs but they're just not tethered to reality and you can waste a lot of your years precious years chasing those ideas so i think that's probably why i find it iconic
1: yeah that's pretty good i mean this thing's iconic because this is the guy who runs the top startup accelerator and he's literally giving you the answers to the test, right? He's like, Hey, you, you want to get into YC? Here's exactly how you come up with an idea that could be worthy of our badge. So if, if someone's looking for an edge or trying to get in, other than having a, a great connection, this is the path to find. So he's he's giving the answers to the test here. So it's not that hard, right? Just follow this and you're good to go and you'll become a unicorn. This one is, is buried deep in the internet, but it, it's pretty strong.
0: Yeah, and if I could just add one last thing to that, I think the idea of chasing or building wells, targeting a very small audience with a desperate, desperate need, I haven't heard and, I, and I've and i read quite a lot in this space. That is a very novel idea and something that all of these successful companies, especially the Unicorns that came out of Y Combinator have in common, it's, they had a very small part that... Was a germ of a larger company. But yeah, that's one approach that I think also makes this very iconic.
1: All right, so who should read this blog post and when should they read it? So I think anyone that loves a good brainstorm meeting like myself, whenever they go into Google Calendar, they create a meeting and they title it Startup Brainstorm Ideas, they need to quickly delete that meeting request and read this blog post because I've definitely been guilty of that. But who do you think should read this?
0: It's interesting. When I was reading this, two people came to mind, and the first one is actually it's mostly because I've dealt with these kinds of entrepreneurs or founders in the past. They've started a company, they've maybe even raised money, but they don't have "quote unquote" traction. They have they they're making money, but they're not solving a problem. They're not they don't have a well essentially. They haven't built a well. They're not solving a a desperate need for small group of people, targeted, clearly defined group of people. They're essentially doing an everything for everyone. And you can see them suffer. So those people I'd would imagine would get a lot of value from this. And then the second person is someone, as you said, Jim, who's still in that brainstorming phase, coming up with ideas just out of thin air, not necessarily tethered to reality. They're not pain points that they feel or people around them feel.
1: So those are the two people I think will get the most value from this. Yeah. I was thinking too of some of our clients that reach out to us to try and save their company when the truth is they they do not have product market fit and they should have gone back in time and read this one. No, man, this is good. What, uh, What else? Did we hit on everything? I think
0: we hit on everything. But one last thing I would say is this is definitely worth the read. It is quite long, but it is worth your time. I can't imagine a better piece if this is like something you're interested in. Yeah, there's no better piece than uh, this one by Paul Graham.
1: Definitely worth it. We'll have to do another one of his blog posts on the iconic reads. But thanks, man. This was fun. Awesome. Thank you very much, Jim. Today's episode is brought to you by no one. Yep, we have zero sponsors. I haven't reached out to any companies, nor would I expect a reputable brand to give me money, but I'll give a few plugs. First, I send a weekly newsletter each Thursday featuring five articles or tools that have helped me. You can sign up for these weekly updates at jimwhuffman.com. Second, for anyone running a startup, if you need help growing your business, check out GrowthHit. GrowthHit Growth Hit serves as your external growth team after working with over 100 startups and generating a quarter billion in sales for clients, Growthit has perfected a growth process that's hell bent on driving ROI through rapid experiments. Plus, you'll get to work with yours truly. So, if you want to work with a team that's worked with startups that have been funded by Andreessen and Horowitz or featured on Shark Tank, then check out growthhit.com. And finally, I wrote a book called The Growth Marketers Playbook that takes everything I've learned as a growth mentor for venture backed startups and I've distilled it down to 140 pages. So, instead of a hiring a growth team, save yourself some money, get the book, and you can just do it yourself. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I'd love to hear feedback. I'm on Twitter at Jim W. Huffman.